0: Welcome to yet another episode in this fun guide dog series, How to Train Your Dragon. Or should I say How I Trained Mine, because Draco is a dragon. Yes, hi buddy. He's here with me in studio today. And I have the amazing Megan Whalen back with me. She's my friend and Draco's trainer. And uh, we both kind of went on this adventure together. So hello, Megan.
1: Hello! How are you doing today? Not too shabby, it's really hot out, but other than that, uh, hanging in, got all the dogs exercised early, and now we're all just cooling off.
0: That's awesome, that's
1: great, yeah, it is very
0: hot out, um, so, Draco and I are staying cool. We'll play some fetch inside, um, later today, but, okay, let's continue on with the series. So, I think the first thing that I'm going to be, or that we're going to be, I should say, discussing is why I chose to privately train. I don't know if I touched on that a little bit. Um, and I chose to privately train for a few reasons, and one of them being that when I met Megan, and we started becoming friends. I saw what a wonderful guide dog handler she was. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, she's perfect, because nobody's perfect. Um, Hold on. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We all have flaws. Just kidding. I know. And But anyway, I just saw how... I guess the relationship, too, with her dog then, but I mainly just saw how good she was and how on top of it she was, because that's very important, um, and I think a key thing that people need to realize when they have a guide dog is that the training never ends. Even if it's a service dog, the training never ends. The training is always ongoing. So, you know, for example, when you go through a program, you know, the trainer trains a dog, works with the dog, goes through all the training, then the trainer trains you. And then, you know, you learn how to work with the dog. And then when you and the dog come home, it's kind of like how you kind of become the quote unquote trainer. But I mean, you're not training the dog, you're working with the dog. Um, So the dog has to respond to you, has to listen to you, um, and it's your responsibility to keep up with that training, so, you know, because the dog is a dog, it's not always, it's not going to remember, oh, I uh, I learned all these skills, you know, if you don't work with the dog enough, the dog's going to lose those training, you know, the training, and it's just going to become a glorified pet. So that's very important, and I just thought I should touch on that a little bit. But um, back to why I chose to privately train. Anyway, Megan, I think you were training or beginning to train with your third guide dog at the time, who you were owner training, correct? Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, And I remember you telling me Hey, I'm actually owner training my third guide dog, and, you know, we're working together, so whenever you're ready, let me know, and I'll help you. And I was like, okay. Um, And I think it's because, like, you knew how much I admired you as a handler, and I still do. And, you know, you've always been a role model for me. And uh, then... Of course, years later, um, I think it was, what, the pandemic when I started looking for dogs again? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, during my training at Blind Incorporated, I started exploring, um, and just kind of looking a little bit, but I kind of paused it just because the pandemic was happening and all this, and then, um... December of what? 2020. Yeah. December of 2020 I started looking and I found a breeder worked with her and then you know obviously the rest is history. He's here. Rico's here now. But um, I decided to go the privately training route just because I know Megan Um, I'm familiar with the way she trains with the way she handles dogs. I love um, her style of training it's very um, seeing I if you will um, <clears throat> you know given that that was the program that she went to um, you know obviously it's also like you know she puts her own style to it um, but anyway I love her training and not only that she and I have a good relationship as we are friends Um, and she knew what I wanted in a dog. So that is one reason why I chose to train rather than going through a program. Another thing that I felt was very important was I wanted to co-raise my dog and I wanted to bond earlier with my dog. And since I do have some dog experience, given that I've owned pet dogs, that's kind of helped me out and um obviously I'm not a dog trainer by any means but dog training kind of comes naturally to me so I thought well why not I mean it's a um a very unique way to obtain a guide dog but you know there is no one way and I thought it would be a good challenge and um it was fun, and I would definitely do it again. It's honestly very rewarding to co raise your own dog. Um, who knows? Maybe the next time around, I'll I'll do the full the full shebang. Um, <laughs> but uh-huh. um, I just thought that it would be a, a uh, good way for me to experience this. I mean, and honestly. It's, it's not easy. If you're willing to challenge yourself and if you're willing to put in the work, which I did, it's all worth it. That is what I'll say. Megan, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Um, no, I think you covered it.
0: Okay. Now, here's another segue to a question that I get all the time. How did you find a private trainer? How does that work? And so, yeah, the question would be: is how to find a private trainer? Um, Megan, do you wanna do you wanna talk about that?
1: Yeah, I'd say um, you had a unique advantage in that that you didn't really, you know, you found your trainer just through friendship, which um, was, I'd say, fortunate in this situation. Um, but as far as um, other people and how to find a trainer. I would say it's important to look for somebody who has experience with serviced animals. um, Somebody who knows what the expectations are for a service dog. Um, I think everybody's able to learn, but finding somebody who I would hesitate to be getting a dog that was the first guide dog somebody ever trained. doesn't mean they couldn't do well, but I would, encourage people to seek out somebody who has experience and also somebody who's comfortable um, asking their previous clients if they'd be okay connecting with you you know everybody that i've trained a dog with um or trained a dog for i guess uh i'm pretty sure that if i said hey i'm getting ready to work with a new client and they want to talk to a couple of my previous clients would you be willing to talk to them and answer any questions they have about the experience i feel like i have a healthy relationship with everybody i've worked with and would be comfortable with them talking to a future client if everyone agreed so i think that would be an important question to ask do you you know can i do you have any previous clients that i could connect with um also asking them questions like uh how do you teach intelligent disobedience what's your Process for teaching traffic awareness. Um, you know, things like what what are the tasks you'll teach the dog, um, and just making sure that they understand what a guide dog really should be. So you want to make sure that that dog's going to learn how to do everything you're going to need, and that would be you know straight line concept. And they may not use all the same terminology, of course, but stopping for changes in elevation. Um, You know, finding the safe way out of the street when crossing, uh, obstacle avoidance, both overheads and um, ground level stationary and moving um, and all those things. So just making sure that somebody understands exactly what a guide dog is. It's not just a dog who pulls you down the sidewalk, that there is so much more to it than that, that they learn how to target locations and that can be taught in many different ways. Um, Just all of that and asking them uh, what age they start and where they get their dogs you know if you really want to pick your own dog is that something they're willing to do or do they provide the dog Um, so there's and there's not a right or wrong way to do a lot of these things there's many different ways to do it Uh, but just making sure that all your bases are covered uh, talking about contracts if that's something i would definitely say if you're working with somebody you don't know you want to have a contract outlining your financial obligations and um, your expectations of that trainer and kind of a projected timeline, but also recognizing that if they say that the dog will take four months for harness training and they need an additional month to train that dog, um, that's probably fine. You know, recognizing that there's going to be some flexibility in the timeline because you're working with a living, breathing creature, but also uh, making sure that that person is doing what they say they're doing with the dog. So how are you going to get, Information: Are they going to provide weekly training logs? Are they going to provide videos? And if they're providing videos and you can't see, are they going to provide adequate description for those videos? Like, how are you going to get this information to know that they are, they are doing what they said they're doing for you? Um, those would all be very important questions. Um, and then if the person does not live near you, how is placement going to look? Are you responsible for Uh, out of pocket staying at a hotel or whatever or is that rolled in the cost of the dog Um, you know just think about that whole process and also what is follow-up like if you run into issues with that dog um will there be like follow-up fees uh will there be you know is that just rolled in the cost of the dogs because some trainers will say um, i can raise and train a service dog a guide dog or whatever for you for x amount and it's just a lump sum And some will say, you know, it's a monthly fee or it's a um, weekly fee or, you know, they may break it down in a bunch of different ways. So just really understanding exactly what your money is going to get you and what the experience is going to be like. um, Those are all very important questions. Right. And then, you know, if you, if you prefer a specific breed, um, what is, you know, have they worked with dogs of that breed or similar types? You know, if you've got somebody who's always trained Labradors and you really want a standard poodle or a German Shepherd or a Doberman or one of those breeds that tend to be a little bit more. um, One person dogs and maybe take a little bit more to transition over is that something that trainer can work through is that something they'll support you through because it will take a little bit more for that dogs loyalty to move over to you as the handler Um, so just like. Any trainer who. Uh, I would say is worth working with is going to be happy to answer your questions because they're going to know that you're invested in it going well and they should be invested in it going well. And um, it's also possible to come across someone you really like and they just aren't the right fit because maybe they have only worked with labs and they're not comfortable with the process of, you know, if the transition of handling is is hard on the dog that they're going to maybe not be as comfortable with that process. Or, um, you know, I, I had one German shepherd who, uh, just like wanted nothing to do with me for the first week and a half I had her and the trainers were prepared to help me through that. And that was my first guide dog. Um, but if someone's only worked with a breed that, um, is more likely to be like, Oh, cool. You're the one who feeds me. That's cool. Like, this is a little confusing, but we can do this together. Um, you know, they may not be as comfortable with that transition. So those, those are just all important things to really consider. And, uh, like I said, you can have somebody who is fantastic and just not the right fit for you. You know, I wouldn't be offended if I had an extensive conversation with somebody. They asked good questions. We had, uh, great, great discussion about it. And in the end they said, you know, I really think you do a great job but i'm gonna go with x because y that's fine like just like someone can go to the store and try on five different pairs of jeans and four of those five you know do fit in their different styles and you buy one that doesn't mean that the other one sucked it just means that you pick the one that's best for you so right um yeah
0: right and i uh, that all definitely makes sense and it's so important to really really find Somebody that you gel with, um, and obviously that has experience, knows what they're doing, um, and can promise. Well, I don't, I don't want to say the word promise, but can, uh, can train a dog, um, because your life is in their four paws. And, mm-hmm. obviously, safety is definitely a big Big thing when it comes to service dog. you need to make sure that um, they can confidently keep you safe um, but uh, I will say with Draco it's definitely very it was a different scenario just because I I know you you know me mm-hmm. um, and we both co raised him together so the
1: transition was smooth um, yeah, yeah, he definitely was comfortable with both of us, and so he'd gone back and forth between our houses. So he basically just had to learn that he, you were the person he was guiding now. He didn't have to really, like, learn to respect you or any of that. He, You guys had already worked all that out. Right. So your placement was very much, um, not that there were no learning curves, because there were, right, with your first dog. But, yep as far as you didn't have to learn the dog, you just had to learn how to handle a guide dog. And that's a huge benefit that not every private, private training experience is gonna be that beneficial as far as that part of it goes, at least.
0: Yep, and I will say if anybody came to me and asked me about you, um, I would definitely say yes. I recommend her, she's amazing. Um, she will work with you and the dog. Um, and, yeah, I would definitely give you a 10 out of 10. And I would go back to you, so. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I would work with
1: you again as well.
0: Yes. And so now, just a little disclaimer. We are friends, yes. But just because we're friends, um, I do want to say that, one, um... Our training was definitely very, very much professional, you know, like I was Megan's quote-unquote student, I should say, during that time. It was very professional, very, you know, it, it went like any trainer would, you know, like any guide dog mm-hmm. trainer would work with their student, uh, with their client, I should say. Not student, but client. Um, not only that this wasn't done for free just because we're friends. So I, well, not only that I think, and that's not my opinion, but when you have a friend who does something, you know, for a living or have, or, or they have a business or something like it's great to support them because you know just because they're your friend don't expect anything for free not that anyone ever assumed anything but I just want to throw that out there that just because somebody is your friend work is never done for free um and I mm-hmm. think that their work should definitely be considered and appreciated and you know like you pay for a service so this was definitely something that was paid for um obviously, because dog training, it's not cheap, never will be, you know, and if you want something done, you want it done right, well, you gotta pay, so that is all I'm going to say for that, because I think that that is something that should be, uh, should be known, that yes, there's, there's friendship here, but obviously, I hired Megan to train my dog, and it was a service that was provided, so that is what i'll say for that i just thought i would add that in there Mm -hmm. now since we you did talk about placements uh let's talk about how does placement how does the placement process vary and what considerations do you have to take into account
1: okay so um the placement process can vary in a few ways either the trainer brings the dog to your environment and the trainer stays maybe at a hotel or whatever and they come and work with you daily or the trainer has you come to their area and you do the placement and that could be that you come to their area but you stay at a hotel in this case um, mostly because we are good friends and i was very comfortable with you uh you know you stayed in my home for those few weeks but there are also trainers who you know, maybe have a setup where somebody they don't know as well may still stay in the home. Um, and, uh, you know, that would be a, something they'd have to figure out. I, I personally, if I if I brought somebody in that I didn't know as well, I'd have them stay at a hotel at their expense. And that would be um, disclosed up front before anything started that, you know, during placement, you'll be staying at location X you know, whatever works for you in the area and you'll be responsible for getting to my location every day or whatever that might be, you know, however, we're going to set that up, but that would be laid out in the agreement. So placement, I guess, just making sure, you know, what to expect. If, if you need a person who's going to bring the dog to you and teach you in your environment, make sure they understand that and that they can accommodate that. Um, And, you know, I guess that, that kind of covers as far as private training, that would cover all the different placement options I would think. Right and um, another
0: thing regarding placement so can you talk about what you need to take into account like let's say if a client is a high partial
1: or if they're total or oh yeah sure so um ultimately any dog that's trained should be fully functional for anybody I have uh, for that's a very broad statement but let me finish saying what I'm saying otherwise I know that sounds ridiculous um so I have a tiny bit of usable vision but I will not place a dog if I don't feel that um that dog requires visual assistance in any way so um, I have enough vision that I can see the sidewalk um and I can see sometimes if the lighting's right i can see the the lines for the crosswalks for street crossings and that's about all i can see Um, but i do regularly while i'm out training dogs keep my eyes closed and or um, i have done sleep shades a couple of times but i usually just keep my eyes closed and make sure that that dog is functioning well i take them into environments i don't know so i can't start to be like oh oh i know that the block's ending soon let me choke up on the harness a little bit to help them stop for this curb So I make sure that they've worked in areas where I couldn't possibly help them and that they are excelling in those environments as well. I don't need Angie to have a dog who can guide her on a fixed route in my neighborhood. And that's all that dog can do. Um, That is not a successful guide for her or for me. So um, that being said, when we worked together, knowing that Angie had uh, usable vision, you know, we talked a lot about how to make sure you're not um, queuing the dog more than is necessary. You know, if you see an obstacle coming up, do not um, slow. Don't pull back on the harness. Don't try to help the dog. That it has to be up to him to make the decisions. Uh, Otherwise, Angie, like we talked about, you know, with your uh, night blindness, he's not going to know the difference that like, oh, now that it's nighttime, she's not going to be able to hand feed me how to go around this tree branch. So you have to, you know, you have to be able to uh, effectively trust that dog in any lighting. And so we did, um, we did night routes. And in some cases night routes are done just to show the person that the dog works well at night. But Angie will tell you that we did quote unquote scary stuff at night. The things that I knew she would be a little bit more uncomfortable with were the things we did at night because I wanted her to know that this dog 100% is going to keep her safe and do what she needs him to. So we did, um, you know, heavier traffic areas. We did, um, you know, big like overpass pedestrian bridge that went up over a very busy street. Um, You know, we did a lot of things like that where I knew Angie would be more likely to be um, unsure um, so that she could see that, in those situations, for sure he's got her back. So it wasn't just about like, Hey, your dog can work at night, even though it looks a little different. It was, I know that in this, at this time you can't in any way help this dog. And I'm, we're doing these routes to show you that he's got it. Like he knows exactly what he's doing. So, right, and I think that also helped you to learn um, what it feels like for him to work without, without you being able to help. And I think that was beneficial then for regular you know daytime routes to know kind of get a sense of like oh shoot maybe I'm stepping in a little bit and I sh- need to let him do it um so and I think you did a great job of that there were definitely things he had to rework that you saw coming and you let him make the mistake so he could learn so, yeah and I still let him do that <laughs> yeah And that's very hard because that's totally going against your instinct to like, Oh, I see something coming. I need to avoid it. Um, but yeah, like learning, I'd say that dogs tend to struggle the most with, you know, something like overhanging bushes or something, engaging exactly how much of your space that's taking. So, you know, that was just to clarify for anybody listening. It wasn't like he was, you know, dropping her off curbs and stuff like that. It was like an area that was overgrown that people need to trim their bushes, you know, and, and he barely brushed her arms on stuff or whatever. And just, you know, reworking those things rather than being like, Oh, it's okay. I'll just pull my arm in next time, which is very easy to do. It's easy to, it's easy to make excuses for yourself or for your dog. And we talked a lot about the importance of um, letting the dog make the decisions, letting the dog make mistakes because that's how he's going to learn and grow. And, you know, we have a similar Angie and I, a similar working pace, but, we're different people were not exactly the same height and shape. And so there might be an area that he could clear me through just fine, but he has to learn that, you know, Angie walks a little further out from his side or whatever it is, you know, she's a little shorter, she's a little taller, um, whatever that might be, or something as simple as like, you know, I was comfortable uh, walking through this area where there's, you know, some grass overgrown in the cracks and maybe while well, Angie was learning to trust him that was a little bit unsure and he had to slow down for her it's just it's all um the dog learning exactly what that person needs and I can simulate as much as I can what um the dog's future handler is going to be like but they still need to learn each other so
0: right exactly and still till this day I You know, obviously, I let him do his job because that's the thing, when you are a handler and you have some vision, let us clarify this. So, when you go through guide dog programs, all of the programs will ask that you are blind. And by blind, I mean legally blind because when you're legally blind, you're blind. So, that means an acuity of 20 over 200 or less with better you know correction obviously like so like let's say if you wear correction in like corrective lenses you have to be twenty over two hundred or less with correction um or you need to have a visual field of twenty degrees or less so um mm-hmm. a lot of people have this misconception that um you only get a guide dog when you're totally blind it's not true um, there are guide dog handlers like me who have some usable vision and usable vision can vary like they can see like me or somebody like Megan or they can only just see lights um, so it honestly it, it varies and that is one thing that I will say and also another thing too that a lot of guide programs want the person to have is good cane skills good travel skills like they want you to uh, to be able to travel confidently and independently with a cane have good orientation and mobility skills so that is another thing that they look for and that is one thing that you have to consider when you're getting a dog too. not just um, is this right for me, but am I independent to travel alone? Because it is very easy to get lost with a dog. Um, I just thought I would wanted to just add that in there. Um, Megan, do you have anything to add about that?
1: Yeah, so um, cane travel is very important for a couple of reasons. You Want to make sure, um, and it's totally possible and probable that your dog will increase your comfort traveling in new environments and, you know, getting out and doing things and be your motivator to go out every day, even if you don't feel like it and all that. So that's true. But um, it's very important um, that you can travel. without a dog and in most cases, you know, most training programs require that that without a dog means that you travel um, with a cane, at least reasonably well. Um, because like Angie said, the quickest way to get lost is with a dog because your cane finds things and your dog avoids things. And so um, if you miss a turn with the dog, it's it's very easy to real, like not to realize that. Um, and so good orientation is very important. Um, you know, even though I uh, love working a dog, I keep a cane in my purse all the time, just in case. Um, in case I need to teach my dog something new in an environment, find a bus stop pole that I want them to target, whatever. So, um, let's just say something else about that. Um, but yeah, there, I guess the big thing is that a dog is not like uh, an out of the box solution to orientation and, and independent travel just because um, because they, um, you do have, you have to know where you're going in order to direct them, I guess is what it boils down to. So, you know, that's, I guess the big thing about safely and effectively traveling with a dog is that um you do need to be able to through whatever tool usually it's with a cane but through whatever tool you're comfortable with you need to be able to occasionally teach them how to target and find things so um, and that might be something that you need to work with somebody or work use your cane to show them where something is
0: yep and also another thing I want to add to that, too, is dogs are living, breathing creatures, and they get sick. So there might be a time when your dog has a, you know, tummy ache, doesn't feel well, and you have to get to work. You know, you're not going to call off and say, um, I'm sorry, I can't go in today. Um, Scruffy has a tummy ache. And is not feeling well so what are you gonna do well you're gonna have to go to work still so just take a cane with you mm-hmm. and also another thing that I want to add to that too is Megan mentioned that guide dogs are not the, the endopio solution for getting around um, they are not a GPS system so you have to like Megan said, know where you're going. And you know, to be, cause you're the one giving the dog directions. The dog is your eyes, right? But you are the brain. You are the one telling the dog forward, left, right. Um, the dog isn't gonna go, um, isn't gonna know. Scruffy, take me to Starbucks. They don't know what Starbucks is. You know, sure, you can target and teach them the name of things, but... You have to know it in order to teach it. Right, exactly. You know, they're not going to automatically know, Oh, um, she wants to go to Starbucks today. Let's go to Starbucks. Like, it's not a GPS that you can turn on autopilot and... There we go, mm-hmm. we'll go to Starbucks, or let's go to Target, or let's go to the mall, or whatever. Anything else to add?
1: No, I don't think so. I just remember when I first started training with my first dog at the seeing eye that the trainer said to me something along the lines of like a dog is the fastest way to get lost in the safest way. So they'll keep you safe, but you could get super, you know, disoriented, twisted around, whatever. So you really have to always pay attention to, uh, to what what they're doing and you know the thing i really do love about a dog is that i can tell that dog forward we can walk down the sidewalk i don't have to be um, manipulating my cane to find things and i don't mind using my cane at all i'm very comfortable with it but it is just you know walking down the street and not having to find every crack and every bump and every everything but i do need to be paying close attention to what that dog's doing in order to make sure um you know something like They will learn things, you know, they'll get familiar with routes. Like every time I walk down my street, my dog indicates my house and she's only four months old. Um, So, like, they will learn things. They will pattern to things just through your daily routine. But because of that, you really need to be paying attention because if you usually turn left onto 1st Street and today you wanted to actually cross it, and if you're not paying attention, you could end up making that left turn and just totally losing track of where you're at. So... Um, it's just it is very important to pay close attention to how you're moving through space, I guess is what we're really getting at.
0: Right, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I I was gonna say something now because <laughs> you you brought up a really good a really good point about um, getting lost in the safest way i mean i have gotten lost with draco um but you know i've I've figured it out um and that's just the thing that you you have to feel confident in because the dog isn't going to know everything and i feel like that's a big misconception that the general public has is that um the dog knows where to go the dog knows when to cross the dog can see you know they don't know the difference between green or red. They don't know that green means go and red means stop. They just know that the car is a moving obstacle. And that you don't go when it's coming towards you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's a lot of things that people have asked me about. Um, so, how you know, how do you cross the street with him? Does he know? And... You know, I said, well, no, he doesn't know when it's safe. He knows he has to keep me safe because, you know, they view the car like they do a shopping cart. So, yeah, that's another big thing um, to definitely keep in mind uh, when you are looking into getting into the world of guide dogs, um, be it. Going through a program, going through a program that does home placements or owner training or privately training is just um, those things to consider. So I didn't really know how to end this as I didn't end this. I think we forgot to end this episode, but I hope that you enjoyed this part in my guide dog series, and be sure to tune in for the next one. Bye, guys.